Welcome to Parenting in the Trenches. I'm Karen Peters, a registered clinical counselor, and I'm a mom. We're getting real about all things family from a mental health perspective. So let's get to it. All right, welcome to Parenting in the Trenches. And I'm so excited to be the one welcoming you today because it's a different voice than it normally is. So my name is Lindsay Foss. Um, I'm the clinical director at the clinic where Karen works as a clinician. Um, And I have the joy of being a very good friend of Karen's after a number of years working together. And I uh, am really excited to get to have the opportunity to interview Karen for today. Um, to talk about what brought her into doing this podcast and her work um, and to help you guys as listeners get to know a little bit more about her. So welcome, Karen, to your own show. Ha! This is awesome. (laughs) I'm so excited that we get to do this together. I think it's going to be so much fun. Okay. I'm going to say that I'm ready for this, but I don't totally feel like I'm ready for this. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. We'll see where it ends up. And yeah. uh, we'll, I mean, the joys of editing. You'll get yes. to pick and choose what you this end up having here at the end of the day. Um, so I wanted to start out with talking about kind of your background and what shapes who you are and kind of what brought you into the various, you know, work and projects and things that you do and take on. Um, so I know that you're a busy working mom. I know that you juggle a lot between your family and your work as a counselor. Somewhere along the way, you also decided to start creating resources for families like downloadable tools, family-centered courses, and this podcast. Um, you do a lot of things, but I want to know a little bit about your origin story. So, you know, if they made a movie about you as a superhero, what would be the backstory that explains why you do what you do and why things matter to you in the ways that they do? Yeah, goodness. Uh, I'm, well, I guess maybe it says something about me. I'm highly uncomfortable with the term superhero, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so let's just start there. A movie, uh, hmm. Backstory, I would, if I go all the way back, so I've done a few talks recently where I felt compelled to share in my introduction my parents' origin story. Mm -hmm. And I think it kind of throws people off, and I've chosen not to go into explaining it all the time. But like when I say that my parents were like Dutch immigrants, right out of World War II, came to Canada, built a life, left all their stuff behind. Um, I I don't think I ever really and still haven't fully understood the impact that has had on how that's shaped my upbringing, but mm-hmm. I have a sense that it has. So I would start there of the character that they brought and shaped our whole family in. That, that kind of soil fertilizer yeah. has been really impactful. And I know, you know, I've I, my dad has passed away. So then you get into the kind of like the reflection of who that person really was and what would I say about him to Mm -hmm. people at a celebration of life ceremony. And that, that really helped me name concretely his generosity, his creativity. Um, He was quiet. He's very quiet spirit, which I am not. So that's not me, but what he his hard working kind of nature 
you can see that in everybody in our family. Like that has really permeated our skin. I think we've all adopted this work ethic. Um, So I think that definitely fosters a sense of what I bring and who I bring to the table. It's not so much about like what I choose as how I go about it. Mm-hmm. And I think my mom, um, very, very practical, just get the job done. That has definitely part, been part of my story. Um, mm-hmm. And she is loud. So <laughs> she like, she, she says what she thinks. And if she doesn't say it outright, she'll let you know somehow what she thinks. Mm. So like, a classic example of, I remember just being in the aisle, I was really young, but I was be, I was in the aisle with uh, her in a grocery store and there was a kid who was standing up in the front part of the cart and her whole being went into like, I guess like action mode of like, I got to save that kid before that kid cracks his head open, mm-hmm. falling out of the cart. And the mom was reaching for something and not looking. And so my mom needed to, she couldn't just go, Ooh, that's risky and keep walking. She had to do something. And so I feel like that has definitely been part of shaping my story that when it's combined with compassion, that she Mm -hmm. felt that way deeply about people, about being connected to helping. She volunteered her whole life in a um, a care facility in Richmond and brought me along. So every Thursday she would spend the entire day, um, mm-hmm. bathing people and clipping toenails and bringing them meals. And that was normal. It was all normalized mm-hmm. for us. So it never felt like something I had to choose to take on. It was always something like, that's just how we live. We live in Mm. community. We live in connection. We live serving other people and we live wanting to improve things. And we don't need to be shy about doing it. We need to get rid of our fear and just do it. And Mm. so that was just my environment. So I think that really laid some of the groundwork. Um, And then, you know, you shape and cultivate experiences based very slowly, right? Like, because that was normal, I inserted myself in spaces that maybe otherwise I wouldn't have that grew Mm. other kinds of relationships. And so I found myself with a partner who's pretty, um, like wonderfully emotional. So, uh, he carries a lot of the flavor that I grew up with, with my dad of a quieter spirit, but, really compassionate and really Mm. caring and very giving and generous. So that, that facilitates the way we are now as a couple and then how we parent our kids. Um, and just the types of conversations we have, like we want to grow together. We have passionate dialogue about really big topics and issues. So we have a really close friendship Mm -hmm. and that was modeled to me. My mom and my dad were best friends. So it just feels like that just naturally kind of came out of that. And, and I I am, (laughs) so I'm one of six kids, Mm -hmm. but I'm way younger than right. My other five. So they had a cluster of five kids and then they went on hiatus and then 14 <laughs> years later right <laughs> while my sister was pregnant my mom was like oh 
IPS. Having another baby. So <laughs> I came out into this environment of a lot of teen to adult mm-hmm. who were already like, they were close to empty nesting, like realistically, because my youngest brother, the my next brother up, um, acted like he was 20 when he was 14. So he right. already flew the coop at, I don't know, 16, 17 and rented a house and moved on. Um, mm. And so I grew up an only kid, essentially, right. with a ton of adults in my world yeah. who all saw me as like the cute little sibling <laughs> to practice Right, with. like a sibling who's kind of <laughs> not. Right? They practice yeah. being a parent with me. Um, totally. I was one of my sister's first piano students. She became a piano teacher. And so I was three with my legs swinging under the bench and she was rehearsing on me, her skills. Mm. And so I, even just that, the lay of the land of like, when they had kids, I was the aunt that could relate because I was close in age, but I was also the oldest of that cohort. And so I, I was constantly caring for little ones and it just Mm -hmm. felt normal to have a house full of who were my parents' grandkids, but felt like more my cousins or siblings running around. Um, It all just cultivated the sense of, I belong working with kids. I belong with people. Like that's just Mm -hmm. how I feel. I give the best and I am part of something that's the best in that world. Um, And then of course my kids teach me constantly. They taught me, I can't, go by the book. There is no book. So I thought there was a book. That's wrong. Uh, (laughs) So wrong. (laughs) It's so wrong. There's a lot of books out there that say they're the book, but Mm -hmm. there's no book. So they've taught me to shake things up. And I think what I've, you know, going back to the origin story of what's allowed me to shake things up is that I, as that kind of only child, had to take initiative and responsibility and entertain myself. And I thought out of the box a lot. Mm. I pushed every boundary. I tried to figure out what's the better way to do this. Um, And so I think that just gave me permission to throw the concept of the book out and just go back to principles of like what matters to me and Mm -hmm. what do I want my kids to grow up feeling matters to them. And you know? So it just translates in my work and my family life. Like I feel like in a lot of ways that's quite seamless. It just has become who I am in every sphere. And that's felt good to me because I don't feel like I have to change when I walk out the door. I'm just. Totally. You can kind of be your authentic self in all the different spaces that you occupy. Yeah. I think that it's really interesting to hear some of, some of that backstory because I think that it, uh, really fits with who I've known you to be and the fact that I've gotten to know you kind of in a little bit of different spaces um, that you do tend to just transcend that authentically you show up as the same type of you in all of these different spaces. I really enjoyed hearing the part where you talked about um, there being no book because to some extent, I think my experience of you is that you just don't believe in the book. Like, 
in so many parts of our work together. I feel like you challenge my brain, which very much wants there to be a book, even though I recognize subconsciously that there isn't one. And that makes me sad. I'm with you in the sadness. Um, I prefer the book I, too. It's You know, like I like, I like, <laughs> yeah. and I need the structure and the solidity of that. And I am for sure the kind of person who really wishes for the book. Um, and I think that one of the things that I found fun and hard and challenging and all of the things about some of our work together has been that you broach things just without believing in a book. And so I, it challenges me to step outside of that a little bit. And I, I love that. I also think it is really reflected in a lot of the work that you have done. Um, even as I think about like what I know about some of the uh, online resources you've created is that really they seem like they're intended for not being like the the hard and fast rules for how to do your life as a parent in different circumstances, but more like equipping and empowering people with tools that then let them create their own version or spin of the book mm-hmm. for their own families and their own unique dynamics and their own um, situations. And that it does, it kind of lets us say, okay, there's not a book, there's not like a hard and fast rule, but there are kind of systems that we can take and we can personalize and adapt. And I think that that's been, I think it's a really cool way that some of these pieces that led into kind of who you are now show up and even these ways that it trickles out. I'm glad that's what it feels like to you. These are new things for me, right? So you don't get the feedback to know if that's how it's translating, but like that is what I'm trying to accomplish. Like I, I want it to be clear, but I don't, and helpful, but I don't want it to be prescriptive because we, we lose ourselves in that. Like there's no one mold and our kids aren't the same and our parenting isn't the same. And it's not about that. We don't all have to parent the same way. And I think we get lost in like, I have to adopt somebody else's way to get it right and to feel better about it. And that, Mm -hmm. yeah. My goal is to chuck that out the door and just go, let's go back to core principles and then help come up with practical options for applying it that might work for you. Um, Yeah, because that and and I think that's true just in general about how I approach my work because it feels wrong to do it the other way. I have like a resistance Mm -hmm. to the invitation to write the book, you know, like the like give us these. Well, yeah, but what if it doesn't? that's a setup for failure for people. And I don't want to participate in that. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, I appreciate the origin story and I'm curious kind of out of that, what, what of what you got from your family of origin and some of those very unique traits of your family being the youngest by quite a lot and a very different experience of people within your home. Um, what is it that you take forward into your own family as you navigate being partnered with someone and figuring out how we take from each of our backgrounds and pull into these unique humans that yeah. we're now raising? There's, there are things we very intentionally pull. And then there are things that happen accidentally because we haven't done the work ourselves, you know, like we haven't filtered out, oh, that's happening. <laughs> We didn't intend that, but we, that's what we Mm -hmm. know. We learned those things, you know, I, I would say in general, I, I'm really happy with how my life was, 
but it doesn't mean that there weren't things like I, I also remember pining for an actual sibling that was my age. Like, and if I couldn't have that, please just give me a dog. Like I, I wanted a companion and, and, you know, we had a family bakery and next door was a pet store. And the closest thing I could get to the dog was that I would go close the bakery every evening with my dad, predictably at the exact same time. And I would spend the last 20 minutes before the pet store closed petting dogs and fantasizing that I could just steal one, put one in my coat and just come home. And nobody would notice. I would just have the secret dog in my closet. Yeah. And like, yeah. I longed for that for at least a decade. So I, there were parts of it that felt lonely mm-hmm. to me and felt hard having parents that were way older and didn't, they worked so hard to have the energy for me, but I mean, I can't blame them. <laughs> they, were, they were in their retirement years when mm-hmm. I was trying to, you know, be in high school. So yeah. it, it was a different phase. I mean, yeah. I can't even imagine. I, I don't have the energy now. Right, right. <laughs> I have a lot more compassion, which they always say happens when you grow up and you're a parent, then you get like, oh, goodness, right. that's what I put them through. There, I have a lot of that going on in my head. But um, mm-hmm. so some of the stuff happens accidentally because it just was normal for me. And I didn't actually want to parent that way, but I just fall in or slip into that because it's what I was immersed in. And there's other stuff that I very purposefully, like I want our kids to have a strong work ethic and I want them to feel capable of being determined and not giving up. I want them to think creatively and outside the box. And I, I, and I want them to have a voice. So those things come directly from how I was raised. And then there's other stuff that I actively don't want. Like it's an intentional piece, but it's like, I'm not replicating that because that came out of a a place that was maybe trauma-based, right? Where my parents experienced war and I don't know what else. Like there was a lot of stuff that happened prior to moving here that I know was big and they didn't talk about and they didn't Mm -hmm. process. And I intentionally don't want to be that. So Uh, when stuff happens that's hard for me, I intentionally process Mm -hmm. it. And that's a direct backlash, right? right? To that lived experience where I look at that and go, I think that hurt them more than it helped them. And I get the intention they were trying to protect us from that experience, but that that's not what I've learned to be healthy. And so I'm doing that very purposefully differently. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Well, and like, okay, so then out of that, as a mom to two girls, what are some of your standout parenting moments, like your favorite kind of parenting moments or memories of parenting in the midst of it with your kids? Yeah. Ooh. Moments are, so it's not the moments that I do. It's the moments that get reflected Mm -hmm. back that stand out to me. So like when something that I very like insidiously kind of tried to cultivate Mm -hmm. has like this moment of clarity that it like this culminating moment. So yeah. Yes. Like they did something that I know what I said for the last five years must have shaped that for happening. Right. Like, so I have two girls. Our second has a ton of energy. Um, she will say every single thought that flows through her and every thought. And, and she won't just say it in one way. Like there's about eight different ways she can tell me this thought. 
So I feel like I'm, I'm getting rich data from her all the time about what's mm-hmm. going on in her head. And yet I, I, you know, we pour in both Chris and I, Chris is like, I don't know, this is just very, he's a feminist. So it forms how he pours into mm-hmm. our kids, the books he buys to put on the coffee table, the thoughts he challenges, the ads he says, why aren't we mm-hmm. listening to that? And and really cultivates a sense of power. So in, um, uh, in the future, there will be episodes that are dedicated to Mother's Day and Father's Day where I have interviewed kids and I wanted to interview my kids. Now, I know that as the interviewer, they're going to say what I want to hear about me. But <laughs> I did say, I'm also going to ask you questions about mm-hmm. dad. And I think I got some pretty insightful responses. Mm-hmm. So that was a moment that shone for me because I thought all the stuff he's poured in just shone in one yeah. statement, right? Where I said, I asked the question of Shayla and I said, like, what is something important dad has taught you? And she said to be strong. Yeah. And I thought, perfect. Like that because she could have said a whole bunch of stuff there. She narrowed it to one word. And I know the kids got a lot more words in her head than that, but she could name what mattered most between that transition of a trans transposition of like what he needs her to know she could name. And that is not like any one moment that he poured in. That is a way of being that he has fostered for years. And so when we asked the question, she Mm. could name it. And I've seen her say things to the neighbor kid in random play on our front yard about body image of, you know what, we, uh, I have bigger legs than you, but it means that I have the ability to jump high and I'm strong in my body, which could be like, you know, and, and this other kid was saying, no, my, my thighs are too big. Mm. She's 10. And Shailen looked at her and said, that's not what it means. There's no too big. There's no such thing as too big. It's how strong you are. So don't feel that way about yourself, right? So it's, and so watching that means like she gets the concept and I just love. Those are the moments that I go, oh, okay. We haven't broken it. It's actually sinking somewhere. Totally. Yeah. I love those moments. And you're right. I think that they are less are like in this specific moment, I did like an awesome thing. It's more this like very slow, gradual, cumulative effect. And I think the hard thing about being a parent is that often we don't get to necessarily see those moments. Like they're the moments that maybe happen on the playground or, you know, with a peer in these spaces that we don't necessarily get to observe and they don't necessarily share overtly with us. And you kind of just hope that they're happening. So when you get to see yeah. them, it does feel like, oh, that's a win for us. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. There. So flip side, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> what about the parenting fail moments? Because I, my guess is that that's what a lot of the people who listen to this podcast wonder mm-hmm. about, or maybe what brings them to listening is the sense of man, I'm screwing this up a lot, or, um, you know, I really need some tools to help do this better. Um, and I'm curious for you, what have those kind of parent fail moments looked like? And what have you taken away from some of those experiences? Yeah, they're peppered, like, oh, man, 
it's hard to pick. Like there's, there's so many, I, I would say like thematically mm-hmm. I spent too much time focused on controlling what I thought could be the outcome. So like I was so worried about the one-off moments where I messed up, like I yelled or I just, it was, I was three years old in my reaction to my kids or like the weight that I put on those, like I was so convinced that I had just undone a year's worth of patience by losing it once. And it wasn't just once, it was regularly for a lot of reasons, but I, I was so, I put so much weight on the times that I couldn't hold it together because I valued the idea that I, if I could just hold it together and maintain my calm and my maturity and my whatever, um, I was only then able to shape them in a way that would Mm. have a good outcome. And I think that as a theme has had to shift and I'm thankful that it is shifting because I think a lot of us stay in that for our whole parenting Mm. careers. Like we think that we're so only us responsible for how our kids turn out. It is not how it works. Um, And so you can miss moments and it's okay. Like you're not breaking them. You're not damaging them from the missed opportunities. It's this bigger picture, like zoom out and think about like, how much are you enjoying your kids rather than trying to control it and how like controlling the behavior. And I've had somebody say that good friend of mine, who's uh, probably about 15, 20 years older than I am. And, and I, he's a good confidant. I told him a lot about the struggle I was having as a parent. And he was able to say to me, you know, the only thing I regret is not having enjoyed them Mm. more. I spent so much time trying to shape and manage that I missed opportunities to just let it be and, and and just watch for the things I could enjoy. And that has always stuck with me kind of like a memory plant plaque in my head of like, yep, that hangs on my brain wall of, I got to refer to that a lot. And I do more often now with a lot of practice of like, nope, I don't have to make everything an educational moment. This, I can just let them be themselves. They will learn. There's so many influences in life that will shape a certain behavior or they will get it when their brain is developed enough to Mm -hmm. get it. You know, when a two-year-old can't share, it's because two-year-olds can't share. It's not because I haven't taught her to Mm -hmm. share, (laughs) you know? So I think that has really transformed patience and compassion for myself as a parent that I'm not missing it. I'm just okay to be imperfect. And they in part learn from that and how I manage my imperfection. And do I beat myself up over that? Or do I name it and say, yep, I'm doing that different next time. Um, Yeah. So I, I think the fail moments that are peppered throughout fall under that category of me thinking like I have to be on everything or I'm raising kids that are going to fall apart and can't manage. And it's not really true. So 
given that you have this unique vantage point as a parent who also works as a clinician, um, working with both parents and families as well as kids, are there ways that your work informs your parenting life and vice versa? Yeah, there, for sure. Like I, And I think part of that is because I don't take my hat off and put a different hat on. Like, So when I'm sitting in the room with people, I'm also a parent in my perspective. Mm-hmm. Like I, I take that part yeah. of me and I inject it into who I am as a therapist. And so I think in a lot of ways that makes it richer um, in terms of connecting, because prior to having kids, I felt like I had a pretty good read on kids in general. I'd always worked in kid filled spaces always. Mm-hmm. Um, and I connect really easy with young ones. So when I would do clinical work at, you know, in my government job, I'd see kids day in and day out. And I felt like I could connect really easily. When though I tried to translate to talking with parents, their parents about what was happening, Mm -hmm. I know now the lens that I was missing. Um, and you can only know that once you become a parent. So there was no yeah. way I had a sense that I knew there were some parents that would actually challenge me and say, but you, do you have kids? Right. And right. You don't, you don't know. know. <laughs> and I would be very honest, like, no, but I work with kids all the time. Right. Yeah. And kind of like, I still have a perspective because I see kids all the time. Right. And I know all, I the got research. all the research behind me. I've read all the books. I promise. I swear. Um, but it really does add a piece when you've had the lived experience and, and a mm-hmm. big part of my work prior to coming back into private practice at Thrive Life was doing um, what's called uh, continuous quality improvement work in a big ministry system for government. And what that mm-hmm. meant was that my job was to take what's typically a top-down process, which is like supervisors tell us what to do and then we do the work with clients that we tell them they need. And the job Mm -hmm. was really to turn that on its head and say, nope, you got to ask the consumer. You got to ask the person, the client, what they need from you and then provide it in a good quality Mm -hmm. way. And we needed Mm -hmm. to access what parents wanted from us to be able to offer that well. So my job was really centered around the perspective of, I need to really hear what you need from your lived experience. And my job is to wrap myself around that, not the other way around. And so the expertise shifts, right? Where parents are the experts yeah. of their family. And I come alongside to support, to hear them, to boost what they need, not, not me having all the answers. So I think that it has really helped when I had kids and recognized, yep, books don't work. So I toss the book, I get creative, I get frustrated, I get all the things that parents feel. And now when I'm in a room, I, it's not just the research that speaks to that. It's the parent lens. And so I, I have different kind of compassion for parents. So, um, that definitely, definitely influences it. And I know that my kids don't have a normal mom, like, Mike, right? They go to school with language that other kids don't have. And then they say it and then they get weird looks because they're using phrases that come out of a therapy room. Like 
That's mm-hmm. most mm-hmm. kids at age four don't say emotional dysregulation, but my kid did. And she read every parenting yes. book that I left on the, you know, every guide that I was researching was, you know, mm-hmm. she read it. And I don't know what she took in, but you can see some of those like, yeah, this is a world that is not normal. (laughs) You're immersed in it. And I can see how that's, you know, changing a little bit (laughs) about how quirky we are. Good, bad, or otherwise, as (laughs) it may be. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if only we could give that to every child, some of that language. It's true. And there's pros to that. And it also makes them stand out as a bit strange, right? And and we're, I'm just trying to teach my kids to be proud of that and own it. But I get why it's a little bit sore thumbish, you know, it, it, yeah, mm-hmm. makes you unique. Um, and yeah. yeah, and maybe the pressure that I've brought in to about feeling like every moment has to be teachable. I think that in part comes from this, like therapy bleeds back into the home too, where I just want everything to feel therapeutic. Well, that's not realistic either. So Yeah. Yes, totally. I remember having a conversation with my son who's six. Um, we were he was sharing about a peer issue at school. And uh he'd said something about, you know, mom, I don't know how to handle it. And so we were role-playing it together while we were getting ready for bed. And I said, Well, you know, you could say it like this, or you could say it like this. And he's like, I get it and I like it. Now can you give me words that my friends won't yeah. hit me for? <laughs> like right. Oh, right. That's legitimately uh, a concern that like my 6-year-old friends aren't going to handle it super awesome mom when I say, "You know yeah. what? <laughs> I'm not sure that I feel valued in this yes. relationship." You totally. know like I don't know that that's going to go well. So how yep. do we do that better? Yep. <laughs> right? There, there it mom, is. Sorry. I'm doing the, the best I can. Yep. So in the grand scheme of things, at the end of it all, what do you hope that your kids remember about you? And what do you hope they'll have learned from you? Okay. No small No, and I really didn't give this any forethought, so I'm just going to fly here. Ah, what do I want them to know? Okay. I want them to have deep compassion for others and for themselves. Mm-hmm. I want them to feel aligned in the world, like with themselves. Like I want them to find what is true for them and live it out. I don't want them to feel this yeah. constant competition to blend in. I want them to be themselves and let whatever comes to them come to them as a result. Mm-hmm. Oh, I I want them to feel ownership. So like Mm -hmm. I want them to own their decisions and I want them to not feel victimized. Like I want them to learn from what they experience and I want them to pour back into the world with that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I want them to be free to be present And that's like Mm. not something I do well all the time, but I really value. And I hope that that's something I continue to grow in and model for them so that they take that with Mm. them, that they, 
they make practical choices to be present, that they can say no to a device that's sitting in their hand for the sake of the person that's right mm. in front of them. And, you know, like yeah. just the, the maybe small decisions, but that feels so big right now of, yeah, I could choose that, but I could also choose this. And I'm going to, even though it's harder maybe to connect, I'm going to choose that over it. And I just want to be present yeah. with people. Yeah. So that I think, totally. I think that's what I want for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good want. It makes me think of the quote by Brene Brown, and I won't remember the full mm-hmm. quote, but it starts out with choosing courage over comfort. Yeah. And just like that hope that our kids will lean into some of those spaces that may not be comfortable, but they are the more courageous, connected, meaningful spaces. Yeah. And for sure, there's like a lure in culture right now with devices and all the things to yeah to not to choose comfort every single time. Yep. And it's so and available, really right? Like so quick. You don't have I to know. go hunting for it like we used to. Like we used to have to go find yeah. comfort. It took effort yeah. and it's just there so quick. The escape is just in your back pocket all the time. So yeah. Right. And as you know, I'm probably very present about that right now because our kids are 10 and 13, but that translated like when they were five and eight and it will again when they're Mm -hmm. exiting our home and you know flying the coop and I whatever it means and however it translates into I just hope that they feel like they can value being in the moment and not getting so Mm -hmm. lost in past or present or past or future yeah yeah Yeah, for sure for sure Mm -hmm. fair enough it has been really fun to get to hang out and chat with you. I mean, I feel like this is just half of what we end up doing on a Monday yep. anyways sometimes. <laughs> um, it was just really fun to do it and know that maybe that benefits a few other people who get to hear it. And um, and I hope that, that people hearing you share about your own journey into this work can maybe like hear and appreciate the heart that goes into so much of what you do. Because I think that that's one of the things that when... Um, you know, when I listen to a random podcast, I, I can appreciate the content, I can appreciate the information I'm getting, or um, the entertainment I'm getting, if it's uh, kind of just for fun. But I can be disconnected from the f- the purpose of it for the person who's creating it. And I hope that for those listening, that there's a, a real sense of connection to the fact that the heart of this for you is reaching out in care. Um with information that just helps people kind of guide one next step forward. Um, and that it is out of this place of like genuine authenticity. Thank you. I, that's the goal. That's the goal is to, yeah. Yeah. And you never know if that's how it comes across, but it is definitely where my heart sits and my hope is there as well. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for being I think that you chose courage over comfort. Well, today I certainly did. This was... (laughs) You sure did, girl. (laughs) All right. It was super fun to get to chat. Okay. Talk later. You bet. Okay. Bye. Thanks for spending time with me today. Remember to check out the show notes for related resources. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, or you can also subscribe to my online learning page at my.thrive-life forward slash LRL series where you'll get updates, extra tools for your toolkit. 
And if there's a topic that you want me to cover in this podcast, please shoot me a message. I would love to hear from you. Shoulder to shoulder with you, knee deep in this mud. I will see you back here next time.